0: Film runs through our veins and continuously makes us interact with it. I'm your host, Edward Frumkin, and this is Real Print. In this episode, contributor Sean Naughton and I mourn the people we lost in the film industry in 2022. You'll then hear my review of Amadeus Kendrick Smith's recommendation and why I needed an In Memoriam episode. Some portions are recorded on Zoom, so bear that in mind when you hear the audio, and enjoy the show.
1: Hi, Sean. Hey, Eddie. Thank you for coming to this episode and to spend time with me, with sending like some tributes and uh, condolences to members, to friends, colleagues of. uh, The ones we lost from uh, February 2, 2021 through February 2, 2022. The reason why is because we're doing like a whole year, like from the day before today's recording, and we don't want to leave out some people, but unfortunately, like we don't have time to get to everyone, so you can check out... some of the people on our links in the show notes such as the BFI um, obituary of the filmmakers we lost in 2021 as well as the Emmys in Memoriam database.
2: All right we'll do our best to make sure it's not like last year's Oscars in Memoriam it was just on fast forward the whole time.
1: (laughs) Yeah we'll just start off with production designer and art director Roy Christopher, who was nominated and might have won at least one Emmy for production designing, and some of them, the, his works include the Oscar ceremonies in the 2000s and 1990s, which really encapsulates um, like, the year's tone and also like what the direction that the film industry in Hollywood is going for. As well as on Fraser Wings, and Murphy Brown. And we lost Lynn Stoll, Master, who was a famous casting director in the 60s and 70s, notably for films such as Being There, Harold Maud, In the Heat of the Night, and The
2: Untouchables. All oh, great movies, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And great castings. Yeah. Like John Voight. And Bert Lancaster would not have been together if it wasn't for Lynn's Minds, and that even though directors always like to say that they casted, we sometimes forget the casting director, and he was one of the biggest ones late in the peak of uh, like the, the new age of Hollywood in the 70s, as well as the late 60s, and. Uh, Jackie Mason, comedian actor, most famous for people around our age, who voice Crust of the Clowns down The Simpsons. Did we truly miss?
2: Yeah, I just watched that episode recently, actually. I didn't realize he won an Emmy for the episode, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it's a great voice performance.
1: Mm-hmm. Actor Pito Scolari of uh, Girls. He was an Emmy winning actor who had guest appearances on Girls and was a series regular on the Bob Newhart sitcom, Newhart, and really gives out a great supporting beam to elevate Bob's performances in the series. And we lost executive VP for West Coast Operation Engineering for CBS, Charles Kapelman, where he definitely Shifted direction of where CBS was going in the '90s, and trying to think of like "Touched by an Angel," which I think was on CBS. But yeah, uh, go ahead, Sean.
2: Sure. So um, I can. I can. We lost Buddy Van Horn, um, longtime associate Clint Eastwood. Um, Early on in his career, it seems like so for High Plains Drifters, The Deadpool, um, movies that are unfortunately blind spots for me. I don't haven't seen a lot of early, Eastwood, directorial stuff, but I know there's a lot of good stunt work in there.
1: Yeah, like we do want to appreciate not just the ones we thought that were doing, but the the real people who were doing that as well. And another stunt man that we lost was Roy Scanlon, notably. For his ability to do spectacular falls in *A Clockwork Orange* and pallon and uh, his stunts, and the ability to k- keep our eyes on the screens, even if it was not Malcolm McDowell or Steve McQueen. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: Excuse me. Um, yeah, Doug Robinson of uh, who played an air. Argonaut and Jason the Argonauts and been in many Bond movies and uh, and taught um, judo to actor Honor Blackman for the Avengers like even the the real coaches not just dialogues or accents but also stunts as well make up with the preparation of those of the
2: show Yeah, so there's also Remy Julien, a French stunt driver who coordinated uh, and created chase scenes for the Mini Coopers in um, the Italian job, Peter Collison's Italian job, and he also worked on several Bond pictures, Um, just the stunt people don't never get enough recognition, so and they're always doing amazing work.
1: Mm Mm-hmm, yeah, and... Brad Allen of uh, another stunt man. As we're doing, our, we're just going order from like different positions, just because it feels more casual than just a roughing actor director. Because as it feels more cohesive sometimes with mm-hmm. it to let people tuning in, and we lost Brad Allen, who was a stunt coordinator and man. Um, fine. Fight- Choreographer, second unit director, protege of Chaggy Chan with noble credits on Gorgeous and Shane Chine, the legend of the Ten Rings. As a lot of these memorable choreographies would not have come if it wasn't for the brewing movements of Brad.
2: Yeah. Now we have a leading sound editor, um, Alan Robert Murray, who An incredibly prolific career working on films like fatal attraction and joker he started uh working with clint eastwood with bronco billy um Mm -hmm. just another very underappreciated art is the sound because it's it's half the movie and people forget that sound and picture
1: yeah some people think well now in the digital age that he just use a shotgun I attached to a camera. Well, not in uh, the days of celluloid. And uh, another sound mixer, Oscar winner, um, Les Fressholtz, who was notably worked on All the presidents Men and Bird, as he was able to get the mixture of the dialogue, the ambient sounds, as well as the score to make a moving, immersive experience in his works.
2: Mm-hmm. And there was uh, Walter, or Wally Schneiderman, who was a makeup artist, who helped in The Elephant Man, or Charlie, the Charlie Chaplin biopic with Robert Downey Jr. Um, and that work in The Elephant Man is just it's outstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's partly the performance, but it's also a lot of the makeup work. It's truly really phenomenal.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the makeup does elevate the performance as well, because that's how you get people's belief, how you maintain person's attention. And also with a little bit on the elephant man, the reason, it's the reason why there is at the Oscars, the award for best makeup is a competitive award. It's an honorary um, achievement, like for the 68th Planet of the Eights, because a lot of people were upset that the elfman man was not getting recognized for a single award at the Oscars in 81. And then the following year, they literally made the, the award for best makeup with the first recipient being Rick Baker of the American Werewolf in Paris, mm. as that elevated the makeup in film. Well, more recognition at least. Yeah. Um, Another hairstylist and makeup artist we lost was Mark Pilcher, who worked on *Beauty and the Beast* and *Mary Queen of Scots*, and also Bridgerton. As even though makeup might be one of the performance, but also creates person um um the t- the time period and even uh, um uh, having it adjacent with people's um surroundings, which is. But I appreciate a little bit in the the visuals and trailers of Bridgerton and Beauty mm-hmm. and the Beast. And VFX artist that we lost is Richard Conway, who worked on uh, The adventures of Baron Munchausen and won an Emmy for like the TV movies slash specials Alice in Wonderland and Merlin.
2: Mm -hmm. there was also um, Larry McMurtry who's a much filmed novelist his uh, screenplays include adaptations of works of his own work um, like The Last Picture Show and Brokeback Mountain just great stories I mean the great adaptations of great works but you gotta start somewhere there's with the source novel Mm Mm-hmm.
1: yeah it's really brilliant to see how the visual medium can, tra- can make its own translation from a written material that was meant for more of an imagination of many minds It's of this one version that we know of that we see in Brokeback. And another on-screen writer, but more of a journalist and essayist, Joan Didion, who worked? Who was the screenwriter for *The Panic in Needle Park*? That was one of Al Pacino's first major film roles, and the '76 version of *A Star Is Born* with Barbra Streisand. Because Osterson, as her writings really even no matter which medium it is, really just makes you think and create a dialogue of the subject matter that she worked on.
2: Yeah, there's a good. Uh netflix documentary on her actually too that i watched recently because she's she's a more recent death as well mm-hmm. um and there's also jean-claude Carriere, um a very prolific screenwriter for films like the tin drum the unbearable lightness of being cyrano de bergerac um especially renowned for his work with bunuel um and yeah i feel like it's easy for a lot of the other artists working with bunuel to get overshadowed by his very surreal direction and films you just kind of um think of them as as more art tour driven mm-hmm. but his work is very good yeah
1: mm-hmm. yeah um we've also lost executive Marsha Nassatir, who was the first female VP of a major Hollywood studio with United Artists, as United Artists did uh, um, like The Manchurian Candidate, as well as like Annie Hall and several other Woody M movies, which she really gave them a name to just um, recognize outside of MGM. There's the the United Artists, which I love seeing the, their title sequence before um, some of their movies. And uh, we lost pro- um, Jay Walpert, who was a producer on The Price is Right, and like in the 70s, not like the most recent one, but also wrote the screenplay for Cal Monte Cristo and like had the original story idea for the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, there was also Zhang Zhao, which was who was a um, executive and producer, major player in the Chinese film industry. He worked really closely with Zhang Yimou, um, who's a director I admire also. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that that was they're a good pairing, and um, he worked on with him on the Great Wall, and. 2018 shadow which i thought was a very underrated movie i I like that one a lot
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i've only seen hero from Mo, but i'll try to see many of them even if it's not like the most popular one with the great wall but Mm -hmm. um, we lost (laughs) diane weirman who was a top executive producer for participant media which several films focus on social issues such as an inconvenient truth Citizen 4. They also did the first wave and flea and say so, so real some recent participant media credits. But yeah, I'm going to miss a lot of more of the producing side stats people like um, that we don't get to see it a lot as we have not focus on the director or the director who's also the producer of the movie, not just the producers themselves as production companies are the ones that make the movies. Not necessarily all the time with Warner Brothers or Disney, like they would sometimes be acquired.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, There was also Lena Vertmuller, a provocative art house phenomenon of the 1970s. She was also the first woman nominated for Best Picture Oscar um, with seduction of mimi she also did swept away in seven beauties mm-hmm. um person yeah. i'm unfortunately less familiar with but clearly yeah yeah, very...
1: i've seen parts of seven Beauties. like i do love gian franco Gian carlos i forgot the actors let me double check like i'm barely stickler with facts of mm-hmm. people. Giancarlo carlo giannini that's the actor's name who was nominated for best actor for uh, for Seven Beauties and uh, it's just that like she broke ground in terms of recognition not just making film as there have been other female directors like Lois Weber and Dorothy Arsner as well but it's just that there's a lot of ways a lot of fight that women female directors have to go through at least in highland narrative fiction spaces as there's a lot more of a, or more a lot more female directors in the documentary space but just within narrative and fiction speaking like she just give a rec like let female directors know that you can be a best in the, uh, uh, you could be nominated for best director mm-hmm. and I hopefully just... one day we would just stop counting how many female directors are nominated for best
2: exactly director. yeah i just want to throw in a little correction i said seduction of me was her best director oscar nomination it was seven beauties yeah
1: and the the godfather of the uh, um blacks american cinema melvin van peoples whose works really subvert people's minds when it comes to discussions on race as, I would say you'll see Watermelon Man with Godfrey Cambridge in the leading role and just knowing about how to deal with like, how to support ways of just integration or just showing ways in the 60s and 70s of a black experience. Mm -hmm. He also did Sweet Sweet Back's Badass Song and story of a three-way pass with a sweet back when his son Mario talked about the impact of the movie, even with facial hair within black men in films, that was rare. Like I, It's rare to see that more in the past with like, if people talked a lot huge with Gregory Peck with a mustache and the gunfire, but with particularly in black cinema, it was rare to see a mustache until sweet, sweet backs. And another director we lost is John Margolay of Dallas Buyers Club and he's a producer of Big Little Lies.
2: Yeah, he was a he was a tough loss. I was a big fan of um, Big Little Lies and also Sharp Objects. He did um, Dallas Buyers Club, I think, is when you sort of subtract the sort of maybe awkwardness or unsavoriness of Giroletto Ger- Ger- in that movie now um, I think it's still pretty it's, it's a very well directed one and he definitely we lost him too young mm-hmm.
1: yeah <laughs> director um, Bert- Bertrand Tavernier of Round Midnight which was just added to the Criterion Collection mm-hmm. it's starring it was an Oscar 9 performance from musician Dexter Gordon and other films like Watchmaker of St. Paul and A Sunday in the Country like his works will be highly appreciated in the years to
2: come. Mm-hmm. Yeah I'm definitely gonna check out that Criterion Blu-ray when it comes out. Um, there's also uh, Menelik Shabazz who was a groundbreaker for Black British filmmakers um, whose works uh, whose own work reflected his background in activism. He had works such as Burning an Illusion, um, Blood I Go Run, The Story of Lover's Rock. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, those are some great subject, some great um, stories that are not expressed much in America, especially now in Black History Month, as I was watching kind special with Roy Wood that we only talk about the American Black History Month. We don't know about <laughs> the country struggles and histories as well. Like when it came to um, black British actors in civil rights movies that I saw a bit from Roy Wood, but just with Lovers of the Rock. Like I honestly didn't hear of it till Steve McQueen, Small i I'm not sure if Story of Lovers Rock doc influenced that episode partially but yeah that was the first
2: thing that came to my mind too um Mm -hmm. which small acts also just a little aside fantastic yeah (laughs) this collection
1: it's this a a tv series or a movie like it it can be whatever like it doesn't matter i know that award ceremonies are like that but Mm -hmm. i don't mind um director leon gast of When We Were Kings, as that is a great documentary of Muhammad Ali versus George Foreman, where that movie took like 20 years to be released due to financial purposes and rights, and it will eventually be an Oscar winner for Best Documentary. And another director is Milas' Robert Downey Sr., famous for like underground cinema comedies such as Shaved Elbows, Pony Swope, and Greaser's Palace.
2: Mm-hmm. I've seen only seen Pony Swope, but it's great. And I have been really wanting to watch his other, his other works. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also Richard Donner, um, who is kind of, his works precede him. I feel like it's Superman. You got Lethal Weapon. You get The Omen um just three kind of colossal franchises started by him mm-hmm. and um especially at a time when he did it you know now there's franchises everywhere but to be sort of the, the man that launched these three colossal franchises when he did is just pretty it's remarkable
1: mm-hmm. yeah i'll definitely miss the goonies like the goonies is just maybe more fun as a kid than as an adult but he's still Really appreciated the nostalgia aspects of the death. We'll both touch upon in other shows, like mm-hmm. certain things. But yeah. Um, Michael Apted of uh, like the documentary Up series, as well as director of Kohlmeier's Daughter and the third Chronicles of Narnia movie. So, he will definitely made some big strides in both documentary and um, narrative filmmaking and I'm oh, definitely going to miss of uh, what he evolutionized in terms of showing people the same ones almost every year as possible that influenced boyhood.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, there's also Anthony Powell was a costume designer, uh, a three-time Oscar winner um, for Travels with My Aunt, Death on the Nile, and Tess. He's also more sort of Broader pop culture, um, turning Glenn Close into Cruella Deville, 101 Dalmatians, also Dustin Hoffman into Captain Hook, um, which are just pretty iconic mm-hmm. wardrobes. And mm-hmm.
1: um, We also lost um, composer Mickey Theodorakis of Zorba the Greek and Kosa Garva's Z, which, and Sir Pico as well. So his music that gave us the more feelings of what the cares go through will highly be missed.
2: Yeah, and then of course, um, Steven Sondheim, just an absolute titan of theater. who um, Also had some good, great works in film as well uh, as off the stage, uh, or as yeah, on the stage, of course. Um, he, scored Stavinsky and Warren Beatty's Reds. He won an Oscar, actually, for Beatty's Dick Tracy, Um, Mm -hmm. but just don't have enough time to talk about his influence and his profoundly great works and just a fantastic Mm -hmm. lyricist. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. The DP, Giuseppe Rotono, who worked on many of uh, Lucino Visconti movies, Federico um, Fellini's, as well as Bob Fosse, Vittorio Sica, and Nina Wartmuller, like the biggest Italian directors, and it shows the possibilities of what Italian life could be, even Italian neorealism or in the art house stages in the 60s and 70s.
0: Today's review, Amadeus. I first saw the film five years ago in its entirety and through the director's cut, but I caught glimpses of it when I was 13 or 14, when my mom was watching it. She would later cherish it while I figure out what it means. What attracted me to the film was the wigs and production design. Even though I did not know why I was watching my first partial viewing, I know there was something special between Tom Hulse and F. Murray Abraham sharing the screen together. Five years later, I fully grasped the idea of betrayal between the main characters, but a respectful admiration between the and Mozart. When I finally caught the chance to see it in its entirety, I knew that I was able to digest every single detail that made the film spectacular. Even though it was over two and a half hours long, I did not feel bored and was immersed in this old Austrian tale. I was happy when Kendrick brought it up on our last episode because I don't know how many people saw this film or heard of Milos Foreman's name among our H demographic. So it felt tremendous to see how another person was moved by it in the same way I was. I give it 4.5 out of 5 stars. One of the things I love about Amadeus is how Sayeri is used as a narrator. I am sometimes hesitant about the structure of a person explaining everything in flashbacks to a person in the present. It feels weird that an older adult is describing their younger days to another person on screen. I'm sometimes reluctant about that structure's execution in films such as The Green Mile and The Irishman. What struck me about how Amadeus uses this structure is that the audience sees how the person reacted to the story develops when that person was wondering about the claims that I made about being with Amadeus. In these other films, you do not see much development among the secondary characters outside the main character narrating the movie. This is a master class such film. The acting from Abraham and Hulse makes Amadeus one of the best films from the 80's. The film is also a Crazy Homecoming for a director Milos Foreman, who is from Czechoslovakia and part of the film was shot in Prague. Foreman was nervous about whether he could come back to the country. Then, Berndov Studios persuaded him to go to Prague. Once he got there, there were several challenges he faced by the government during the communist regime. They include being under surveillance by police, government informers suspect him and his Czech cast and crew members during stay, and no word of this went to the Czech press so that former would not get punishment from the authorities. Despite that. It is a gorgeous look with perfect details on getting all the time period details right. And that's my take.
2: There's also um, Helena Hutchins, the cinematographer who was unfortunately killed on on set, Um, but- of rust yes but her death also sparked the great debate that we had and this still ongoing over gun safety on film sets um so mm-hmm. it's nice to know that that wasn't that wasn't for nothing and you know people are constantly talking and now are much more aware and there's there's been a great discourse going about how to keep everyone safe on set mhm
1: yeah, as there are also some institutions that are naming scholarships, like especially more with female cinematographers that are sort of like have worked on some possible, could there could be even one or two um, female DP nominees, like the DP for The Lost Daughter, um, who is, um, I'll first mention Ari Wagner of, uh, the Power of the Dog, as well as DP Helene Louvard of Lost Daughter, as hopefully uh, there will be a space where there will be every year of uh, uh, at least one or two, you know, DPs getting nominated. And mm-hmm. hopefully it brings more, like, I just wish that they could say DP, Helena Hutchins, instead of crew member, mm-hmm. or, like you were d- like there was a little bit of hierarchical headlines when this was reporting so I just hope that we can just give the same one at the same recognition and respect as you would to a Roger Deakins or Michael Toll but another DP that we lost as well as Judy Irola of Northern Lights and Lizzie Borden's Working Girls who was just the third female member of the American Society of Cinematographers and uh, the visions of the raw and greenness of uh, the documentary aspects in Lizzie Borden's Working Girls. I'm not sure she did Born of Flames, but those aspects would make of what of Lizzie's themes and message to the audience that I'll miss.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also Ruthie Thompson, um a Disney employee, helped work in animation. She was animation checker and scene planner for um, almost every Disney feature from Snow White to The Rescuers. Um, mm-hmm. Just a... ahead of her time and another underappreciated, but, you know, just seemed mm-hmm. like in every person just able to help out in a new way and regardless of the credit she got, but... Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, one good thing about working in many positions is that she literally knows what to expect and assist in nearly every animation department at Disney Films. And I'll miss the dedication commitment that she served to Disney at its early peak. And another producer of animation the cartoons is David H. DePathy, which they produced the Oscar-winning Pink Panther shorts, so those will highly be enjoyed and I'll miss.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, also, actor Jean-Paul Belmondo, who was a very big player in the French New Wave, 60s, and the several dec- decades after, but he worked a lot with sort of a goddard and breathless and uh le also yeah. on that man from rio and porcelino professional um, just a very prolific career yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah i'll definitely miss his performances and the way we he's just unpredictable Pearl and prolific uh, and knowing about the journey that he took on that really embracing us and on the same, with John Paul Van died on the same day, as well as Michael K. Williams, who played Omar Little for The Wire, and was also in Rock Bro- Empire, Night of, and uh, Lovecraft Country, and was in 12 Years a Slave and Inherent Vice. He definitely created what the embodied what The Wire is, and is everyone's favorite character on that show.
2: Mm-hmm um also clarence williams a third i uh, use a star of uh, mob squad who re as a character actor for in the 80s and purple rain and bill duke's deep cover mm-hmm. which um, i actually saw last year for the first time and great movie and great ensemble everyone's everyone's very good in it
1: yeah um there's also Jessica Walter who suddenly passed away last year um, who was who played the stalker and played Missy for me by Clint Eastwood but is more famous in TV realm for her roles in Arrested Development and Archer as she definitely gives a, a makes the the Booth family a well-rounded family of different um, dysfunctionalities within, as well as the, the main boss in Archer, which her voice will sadly be ingrained in my memories of Arrested Development and Archer.
2: Yeah, same, Arrested Development is just a very iconic performance from her, yeah. Um, there's also George Siegel um, initially making impact in his dramatic roles, but we moved to comedy, um, so he was in He's afraid of Virginia Woolf, um, Loom and Love, Touch of Class, Robert Altman's California Split. Um, just a very versatile actor, mm-hmm. um, always giving great work.
1: He was recently on the Goldbergs as the grandfather on the show for those for younger people, and uh, yeah, he'll definitely miss, and also Jane Powell as well. with who was a famous actress in musicals, like Royal Wedding and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Like her leading roles and the compassion she gives on screen will highly be missed.
2: Mm-hmm. Also uh, Dean Stockwell. Um, who was, I always loved Dean Stockwell. He's death hit me pretty hard. Um, he was a child star um, who also made it as an adult actor, which is a tricky path to navigate he was in Boy with Green Hair, Long Days Turning into Night, and eventually, um, more grown-up roles in Blue Velvet and Married to the Mob, which is I just rewatched that actually. I, I love him in Married to the Mob. Also, Vemender's Paris, Texas. He's he's great as well. Just mm-hmm. a great character actor. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And another one who we missed is Christopher Plummer of The Sound of Music. All the money in the world, beginners, knives out. Like he just, even no matter how long he was on screen, knives out, he was definitely like a catalyst in every way, each way of the movie, mm-hmm. no matter which one he's in. And that's all I missed about him. He never expected to be like a real leading man, but mm-hmm. was a great supporting and coming to the Andrews on a day. Th- Hamas, and uh, um, Russell Crowe and then
2: Sire. Mm-hmm. Also, just to note, like, yeah, similar work ethic when he just pops in and gets an Oscar nomination as a workhorse on uh, All the Money in the World for Scott, having to fill in for that role. No easy task, but you know, he gives it's a great performance in such a small time he had to prepare.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, also, uh, Casey Moore for. Known for her um works in classic African American independent cinema, like Julie Dash's Daughters of the Dust, um, Charles Burnett's Killer Sheep. And Billy um,
1: Woodberry's Bless Their Little Hearts, where um she definitely like influenced the way other characters act in Killer Sheep that I saw like a few months ago and just enjoy how it's just snippets of life and not necessarily focus on one huge narrative in that movie and they'll definitely like i need to re-watch stars of dust it's been a while and
2: it's been a while, while for me too yeah
1: well i just hope that these movies like will get more, like i know that beyonce like somewhat re-engaged people's attentions with stars does i purchased heard of that because of TCM and the National Film Registry, but hopefully these films that were from the LA Rebellion directors are going to be highly seen in the near future. And another director, oh, actor we lost is Helen McCory, who played Narcissa Malfoy in the, the last three Harry Potter movies. She played Cherry Blair on the Queen and Polly Gray on Piggy Blinders, and I'll appreciate the way she undermines manipulates um, alliances in Harry Potter because she saved Harry's ass in that movie that's why I love her (laughs) as well as her small role as a judge in Skyfall that I'll highly miss
2: Yeah. Um, also Norman Lloyd a character actor who famously fell from the Statue of Liberty in Saboteur um, produced and directed for Hitchcock's TV show um, front row eyewitness to show up his history over an mm-hmm. astonishing 80 year career
1: <laughs> yeah he was 107 years old and one of his last film credits was um, playing the patient norman in train wreck which even though it's such a small role they he just has the energy to give to life even if some people say that he should retire now. actor Yafakado, who was famous for his roles in Live and Let Die, um, Blue Collar, Alien Midnight Run, and in Homicide Life on the Street as the ways that he has is a loving, tall guy, trying to share um, support and and confidence to young Andre Brown, Homicide, or just... um, uh, sharing what the other reactions in Alien, that's what I'm missing most with the outfit.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, also with Charles Grodin, a just fantastic comedic actor. Um, very deadpan, but you know, he's just got the comedic timing down and Heaven Can Wait, um, our best midnight run. Um, my personal favorite is in the Heartbreak Kid. Um, I think that's just a great movie, great performance. And- <laughs> He carries the, the thing. Um, there's a great supporting ensemble and everything, but he's uh, very unique in his, his deadpan. There's there really there wasn't anyone like
1: him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he may as laugh and we'll miss him, as well as Olympia Dukakis, Oscar-winning supporting actress for Moonstruck and was also in Stu Magnolia's as just being a sh- good friends to share in that movie as well as to the the ensemble and steel we will definitely miss we'll miss how she brings love to the kinships to the other characters in those movies
2: mm-hmm. um yeah i just i think that she's phenomenal in. And- <laughs> Moonstruck and the scene with her and John Mahoney in the restaurant is one of my favorite scenes in the movie um I I just love it so much um there's also DMX who's also known as Earl Earl Simmons who was a a rapper who topped the charts and uh made some appearances in film as well in films like Romeo Must Die and Exit Wounds
1: as well as Prop 5 like he was very funny in that movie about Finding purpose in life, like even though you know, it's just saying, oh, like it's enough, a more of a famous musician. He thinks that people will worry if it's just there for a gimmick, but no, he was there for the story to elevate Chris Rock's character in that movie that I'll miss from him. And you also miss Ned Beattie of uh, D- Deliverance, Nashville, and Network. And he also voiced Lotso the Baron Toy Story 3. His lovable but deeply um, insidious dude. Um that's from Ned.
2: Yeah. The one the one scene he has in network is just it's, it's wow. <laughs> I love that scene. And also just uh, the way that Sunil Matt stages that you know just gives him the entire floor to work with and he goes for it. And it's, it's such a good scene um mm-hmm. and Ed Asner um he was playing heavies in El Dorado, but you know he's most well known for Mary Tyler Moore and eventually as Carl from Pixar's Up um just another very just long prolific just such a respectable career and always turning in great work mm-hmm.
1: yeah we also lost um, Brandon Murphy, the screenwriter of Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard*. as no matter what, how much words or contribution, we don't know how much he did exactly to his script, but just the words that he thought of and also the settings and how it was translated, that's well missed from Brandon, mm-hmm. as well as Stuntman. Uh, J- joe dunn of uh, the avengers and uh, a the Nair for police academy mm-hmm.
2: yeah um also of course bob saget that you know, was recent one full house actor but also just you know icon beyond the screen just a tremendous loss there um just like betty white also mm-hmm. died in 99 um
1: yeah Betty White. it's just like it's just that i always hear people bring up like i wish that i didn't like should bring up can mr connell die <laughs> instead of betty white like i hear yeah more people who are you know betty white's older than him but it's just
2: she was still just one of those people like, you thought would live forever
1: <laughs> more like maybe 101 i just to yeah. <laughs> 100 to be honest but before we get to the like the other names, straightly above Belly anyway, White, I'll go from top to bottom. Sure. With Monica Vitti, who was a face of the 60s Italian films from Michelangelo Antoniani, and Tom with La, Ventura, La Nod, and the like, clips, which her reactions and the poses, not poses directly, but more like her blocking, sweat. We, I'll miss with La Ventura.
2: Yeah, a great muse for Antonioni. Just a great face for him to work with. And oh yeah, a great actress. Mm-hmm.
1: Comedic actor, Howard Hesman of Head of Class and Police Academy. And have my roles in My Little no, Tap will be missed. Mm-hmm. And critic... Um, more with theater, but did minor with film. Richard Christensen of Chicago Tribune, well um, Mrs. Writings, and another critic that we lost is Greg Tate, who was a long time critic um, for Village Voice and was an advisory board member for Scene, the Black Stars Journal, and had appeared in movies like summer of soul so his analysis and deep thoughts will highly be missed
2: yeah Also, uh, uh german production designer uh ralph Bauer, um oscar opener works with cabaret um has boots uh, never-ending story just very again iconic production design never mm-hmm. ending story in cabaret especially in Despoon. i mean yeah all three <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: yeah and also actor louie anderson of baskets and coming to america and coming to america like his supporting um vibes with zach alvin knight is murphy Well, mm-hmm. oh, how be missed. miss
2: yeah, great late career revival in baskets and great, great work. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Mace Newfeld, uh, he was a producer for films like Hunt for Red October, Invictus, um, Equalizer, Patriot Games. Just, uh, yeah, very prolific, very big films. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And actor, singer Meat Love. Famous for his roles in rock rocky horror picture show and a cameo and fight club. Even if he was like at times mean the bug the jug with the bitch tits and fight club, like he would still get like we don't think him more of a singer, but more just laying by how Ever Norton feels <laughs> in that movie.
2: Yeah, I definitely I, I played Bad Out of Hell pretty loud that day he <laughs> died. Uh... Love him in Rocky Horror too. His his songs maybe I go back and forth whether it's my favorite in Rocky Horror. Mm-hmm.
1: Even though this is not a human being, we do want to give recognition to horse popcorn delights, who famously played Sea Biscuit and Sea Biscuit. So mm-hmm. even just like the animals that we admire in movies, like I saw watch Mojo video with that people. Like, it we'll would be more sad that a dog dies in a disaster movie than a, a, side, a, um, a, side, a, a very big actor who has one line in a disaster movie. <laughs> like, we mm-hmm. do we'll miss animals sometimes, but she doesn't want to get a special so shout-out to Popcorn. What a cool name.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, also, young actor, Gaspard. L um, for he was on Hannibal Rising. Um played
1: Midnight Man in Moon Knight. Mm-hmm. Like just young, so young, but we do hope that he gives a great one of the last five performances in that show.
2: Yeah. Um, and Yvette Mimo and um,
1: she was a great I, a supporting actress in the Time Machine with Rod Taylor of The Birds and uh, they should be missed and Joe Dunn, the stuntman for like the British Avengers not the Marvel Avengers but the British Avengers and stunt Corner for Police Academy
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Marilyn Bergman uh, award winning songwriter for In the Heat of the Night uh, The Way We Were um, Tootsie.
1: Well, the, the song, it might be you from Tootsie. From Tootsie, sorry. And... Yeah, don't worry. I just, you know how <laughs> annoying it can be with that, but it's just the worst that she contributed with her husband, Alan, with so many anthems for the, the, the movies. Like, that definitely sets a tone of them. Movie miss.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, director Peter Bogdanovich of the Last Picture Show, Paper Moon, and What's Up, Doc, as well as a young film historian critic. He had an amazing lifelong friendship with Orson Welles. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: he's one I wish we had more time to talk about too, because um, a couple of years ago, I went through his filmography pretty extensively, and there's a lot of great works in there. Like you mentioned, uh, What's Up, Doc. Uh, his directorial debut, debut, Targets, is fantastic as well. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: yeah like one of the last final performances of the Karloff in that movie yeah and the last one that we'll give like sorry for just saying shout outs in 50 minutes is Sidney Poitier which he was in the hidden night star with love Guys coming to dinner blackboard jungle other great movies that. Who died in '95 and the first African American uh, to receive the Best Actor at the Oscars?
2: Yeah, really, just another one that you can't sum up succinctly. Just such a such a titan of acting, and Lilies of the Field is another one I'll throw out there. Yeah, just mm-hmm. always yeah, great work. Always.
1: I really will miss the 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 love that he has to share with other characters when other characters are experiencing hatred towards him. And he was also a director as well with Uptown Saturday Night and Stir Crazy, that stars Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. And uh, just seeing not just his stuff in front of the camera, behind the camera as well. and uh, But even though he was a great box office star in in the mid-60s, there'll be some movies like patch of blue where in the South they'll cut some of his scenes and gets coming there and was made just like maybe a few weeks before or after, um, the loving be Virginia case, which was huge. And I, and even though he was gray on screen, like he could never get be a villain of a movie because white people thinks because do you worry about what white people think of black people and that um and with him like with black actors particularly like I just don't like that um they'll say Sydney like the passing baton at, at times because you're limiting the humanities and the great variety of what other actors can do like I know that Denzel Washington was asked about recently and I just like hope that an actor it's just an actor like why mm-hmm. actors don't have to deal with that question.
2: Yeah exactly I mean it's, you gotta treat them as people too <laughs> and like Sydney um, yeah. Pate is also just yeah, a great like philanthropist and he was, beyond being an actor just great all-around person you hear great stories all the time of, of him working with crew members and everything and but you know, yeah, lost a lot of great people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, please check the ones that we missed, like on the uh, the real print show webpage. And uh, thank you for just giving these tributes and condolences, Sean. You're,
2: you're you welcome. Can- yeah, no, it was. Uh, thank you for having me.
0: Today's concluding thought. The reasons for an In Memoriam episode. I contemplated if I should have an In Memoriam episode for real print because I understand that it's not typical for many podcasts to do this yearly tradition as it's a segment at award ceremonies and news segments. However, I felt that if I did this episode, I was pushing the show's goals a bit back because I might not be up to date with the current things happening in the film industry. I realized that I needed time to reflect on the legends, pioneers, or others contributions to the things that I love and that I could add dimensions to how I felt when they left their signature remarks on the screen. I asked Sean if he was comfortable with doing this episode and he said yes as Sarah work ethics from the people we lost also impacted Sean in his movie-going experiences. While it can be sad to bring up death, We want this episode to celebrate film and recognize the talented individuals who have committed a career in creating conversations about cinema. We do not want this to be about suffering and tragedy and to go too fast. Instead, we want to take time with it by connecting with the visionaries in the future when we want to be with them to you know where. We want to see it as a way to look forward and be inspired by the fantastic things these figures have done, whether in media production or not. We also intend this to be a love letter to film and media producing communities and not be about our terms with existence on earth. So again, I am aware that I cannot bring up every person who has left this planet in the nearly hour-long episode. It was a bit hard to mix less famous and more famous people as we wanted to highlight different professions with some of their top leaders within and the people who did not get much credit during their careers. However. I hope that added more appreciation towards several underappreciated professions, whether that is the stunts of people who put themselves on the line for doing the things they love, the people who have bounced around in different settings and environments, or the film and cultural critics who have created additional analysis and academic interpretations towards the films we appreciate. We all know that film is a collaborative project where it takes many to accomplish and complete. We do not want to recognize the prominent main actors and department heads that many people have some knowledge of. We also want to have the people at the bottom of the film production hierarchy to be seen too. While we do have phrases that an actor or director carries the film, we sometimes forget the on-screen and off-screen ensembles that make the film that we know, and how much sweat and tears it put into these beautiful images, and that's why we needed these craftspeople. As this discussion was recorded more than a month before its release, we know that more legends will pass away from us, and it's inconvenient to do one of these things every month. However, within a podcast medium, I can show compassion and sincereness in my voice to my tributes, reflect on the fun stuff these figures brought, and make it an annual episode for real print. In addition, I know that I can go on longer for some people, whereas an end-of-the-year in-memoriam article will not provide. And the writers have to keep it short and similar sentence limit for each person we have lost. So, there could be more benefits to having this in an oral or visual environment than in a written setting. And that's today's concluding thought. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Real Print. This episode's music includes Continuum Mutation courtesy of Kama. Like Clockwork by Benjamin Kling, courtesy of Epidemic Sounds. And Shimmering by Rafa Orchestra, courtesy of Epidemic Sounds. This episode is co-produced and edited by Anish Katu and Edward Frumpkin. Please check out this episode's notes and links, as well as reviews, award, and seasonal predictions and essays written by yours truly at realprint.org. That is reelprint.org. print dot org. This is Edward Frumpkin signing off.